What's up, podcast listeners? It's your host, Rafael Matuszewski, and this is episode 271 with Andrew Coates. And I'm pumped to talk to this guy because I've been on his podcast, The Fitness Devil, and he is just a down-to-earth person. He's been in the industry for a while, and we chat a lot about how to become a good coach, a good human being, meeting your clients halfway, and making them successful. We also chat about the uh, seminar that he put together this past uh, July, June, July, I think, and how successful that went to have a Canadian seminar that is on a large scale and I'm so bummed that I got to miss out on it this year but next year for sure I'll be there so without further ado here's Andrew hello boys and girls welcome back to another episode of cut the shit get fit I'm your lovely host Rafael Matuszewski and joining me for the first time today is Andrew Coates say hello hey guys how's everybody doing Awesome. Not that you really answer me back through the airwaves, but yeah. uh, I wonder if that got anybody in their car to actually like respond to the, the Hi, audio. Hi, Andrew. <laughs> That's funny. Like almost every guest does that. They're like, "Hey guys," and I'm like, "I don't think anyone's gonna." But okay. <laughs> um, so yeah, like I, I like to start the show with like super easy questions that kind of get the juices flowing. So the first easy question: What's the current book you're reading? What am I reading? Shoot. Um, I'm reading an old... Actually, okay, so I'm reading two. I'm listening to an audiobook called Super Coaching, which mm-hmm. it's kind of about your fundamental attitudes towards how you see the universe, so it's kind of interesting. Um, you know, I'll throw a little story out there, because I was debating on putting this out in social media, but has anybody heard... This will go off track real fast. Has anyone heard of that inspirational guru, ex-monk, uh, Jay Shetty? So I don't know if you know, but he's been kind of outed, not in the, not, not broadly, but he's been outed as being kind of a fraud that he did, hasn't written any of the stuff that he puts out in all these cute little videos. Hmm. So this is an old book, and there's a story in it about, um, in the book, it's a woman. In Jay's video, it's a man where someone sits down at an airport, buys these cookies, sits down and starts eating the cookies, but someone sitting next to him starts eating cookies out of the same bag. And then this person's get irritated with the stranger stealing their cookies. But as it turns out, when they get up to go, they discover that their bag was underneath and that they had inadvertently been eating this other person's cookies. So the same story, and it's actually in this old book, Super Coach, which is actually a pretty cool book. And uh, but Jay Shetty, what he's been doing is he's been ripping off all these things that he finds in memes and everything else and presenting it like he's writing them. So uh, the guy's actually a big fraud, and uh, Nicole Arbor does a video on it that kind of exposes him. So if you're a big Jay Shetty fan, it's actually worth checking out. So side tangent done. I'm reading uh, Breck and Ferris's Loot Lab. Nice, so nice. That's a big 600 pound, uh, 600 pound, 600 page textbook that's primarily about glute training theory, and it's really, really good. So definitely check that out if you're uh, if you're a fitness professional. I mean, it's pretty much a bible you need to read. Yeah, definitely. Um, so the next easy question is one: What is the current Netflix series or any other series you're watching, or are you one of those people who doesn't watch anything on TV or anything? I, I don't watch TV anymore. Um, I used to collect DVDs. I loved stuff like Super. Supernatural. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last television show that I did watch, I watched Game of Thrones through. Season 8 was kind of disappointing, as kind of any real fan would know. But no, I just don't make time for television. Um, I, every once in a blue moon, I'll play video games. The last video game I played with any regularity was Witcher 3. I grew up on like RPGs, and Witcher yeah. 3 is much the best ever made. Okay, fair enough. Are you a Star Wars fan by any chance? Ugh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> The original series is fantastic. Empire Strikes Back is amazing. Uh, the prequel trilogy is much better than people give it credit for. Jar Jar is terrible. It's, some of these things are so cliche that like it's it's not even sensible to even complain about Jar Jar because he's awful. Uh, I stopped during the new series, and all that I continue to hear is that it's just completely garbage. So mm. I just have no interest in it. Okay, um, I preferred enough. Star Trek: The Next Generation. So if you got to go Star Trek versus Star Wars, it was probably slightly Star Trekky. And I just saw the trailer for the new show Picard, and I'm kind of intrigued. So I might actually check that out. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, and then last easy question: What do you got planned for the weekend? Thanksgiving plans with um, some really close friends of mine, um, a family that are basically like family to me. So that's pretty much it. I think I might go see Joker on Friday night. Interesting. I was just reading an article about how it's like people have been walking out of the theater because it 
you know, makes gun violence and mental health issues, like, a cool thing. And I'm like, I, I don't know. Like, I'm kind of curious to see the film now, but, yeah. I think anyone who's saying that probably hasn't watched a movie um, that goes back anything more than three or four years. Uh, that sounds a bit ridiculous, and it sounds very far ideologically off to the left end of the spectrum, yeah. if that makes sense. And I don't think being in any extreme is a good thing anyway. Um, as a fitness professional, I tend not to comment on... Uh, this kind of goes to a, a later question you're asking, and maybe I'll sort of jump ahead, and you asked about my biggest pet peeve in the fitness yeah. industry is one of the things you asked about. So it's kind of a good place to be. Is, is fitness professionals who spend anything more than just token amounts of time talking on... Uh, social issues or political issues and, and some people will go well a lot of social issues are valid well sure they are but are here first and foremost to help uh, other trainers to a certain extent but certainly people and you know I'm, we're Canadian right so but yeah. I'm sure a lot of listeners are American and people are very polarized in their politics more than ever Canadian politics less so American politics certainly but there are people who are hardcore Republican supporters and Trump supporters and people who are hardcore Democrats and, and far left leaning and they have trouble with obesity and they're seeking education about how to improve their lives and their long term health and, and I'm far more concerned with actually being something positive to all those individuals than to try to score ideological points in an echo chamber of people who share my views on social media and end up branding myself as a an activist. And I find some fitness professionals end up becoming activists versus fitness professionals because it's obvious that's what they care most about. And those people tend to take, they may not see it as, but fairly extreme endpoints of view, which isolates them from a lot of people wanting to ever deal with them. And then you're not helping someone, that you're not helping your own career. Uh, me personally, most of the people I follow are pretty apolitical. Mm -hmm. uh, there are some exceptions, but they don't tend to be too aggressive with it. But the people who are in the industry who tend to write more about politics or the extreme social stuff, I, I don't follow them for their fitness information. I generally tune out everything else. So. I don't think they're doing anything other than making themselves feel good in the moment by having a bunch of people who agree with their ideological belief system just agree with them while anyone who doesn't will tend to just discard them. So I don't see how any of that is helping our careers or any of the people we claim we want to help with their health, or with their strength, with their weight loss, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because, like, I knew a coach where he was very, like, opinionated about a lot of politics to a point where when he got to know his clients and if they were on the opposite spectrum of what he believed in, he would actually end up firing them. And I'm like, okay, like, in, in general, like, I don't like when coaches fire clients because I'm like, they're there because they need your help. And I've always made this analogy. It's like, you know, if you hire a financial planner and your job was to, like, save an extra hundred bucks a month and you didn't do it, they're not going to be like, so I'm going to fire you because you're not listening to me, right? Like, it just blows my mind. I don't know. Well, this is another part of the problem with all this stuff and, and what's wrong in our world today is people are, are ever more intolerant of ideas and views that are different from their own. I mean, it goes back to what you're saying about the Joker. If someone sees something in that movie that disagrees with how they view the world should be well more and more and it comes from both sides they, they want to stop that person's ability to say it you see all these protests of speakers at universities and one of the most important things for us to do is expose ourselves to different viewpoints and and that's not just true of social social or pol political stuff but uh, when it comes to nutrition or when it comes to training philosophy is to be diverse in in what you expose yourself to now that doesn't mean that you know if you're someone who is very fundamentally grounded in um, you know the science of nutrition and understands that while calories are not the only thing they're certainly the most fundamentally core thing to everything that doesn't mean that all of a sudden you start saying well keto is the holy grail no but you just understand how keto works and understand that within also making sure someone's calories are met if that person enjoys eating keto lifestyle diet or if they prefer to intermittent fast then those things are completely valid versus just saying no keto is stupid intermittent fasting is stupid no one should do it you're completely missing the point and and then you start to alienate the type of people who are curious about those things or like those sort of things and 
I'm, I'm jumping way ahead with all your questions, <laughs> but good. you know, it it kind of goes to one of your other ones, and and as as I don't know if, if the listeners know, I write and co-host my own podcast, uh, The Fitness Devil, with my buddy Dean Guido, which you were on. And we tend to go all over the place with script and stuff. And, and one of the things you were going to ask about was, you know, how I approach nutrition. And this is ex- essentially it is it's not steeped in a particular dogma. It is comes from a basis of, of understanding the science behind it. I've done a um, precision nutrition certification. I read relentlessly. I follow some of the most credible people in, in nutrition. Um, there's a great book. Uh, what is it? Uh, the Hungry Brain by Stefan Guillenet, which is fantastic. It's probably one of the better ones out there. Uh, you know, I absorb the stuff that Martin McDonald puts out and Lane Norton puts out and Sohee Lee and some of these other people who are in the forefront. Jose Antonio of uh, the ISSN. And then on top top of that, understand these fads and how some of those fads might actually apply to someone. Well, being well-educated on the more extreme stuff, you know, like we, we like to shit on the snake diet and that kind of nonsense or or have some fun with the carnivore diet, which, you know, gets a little bit out of hand. But, you know, someone very close to me in my life in the past uh, was hardcore into the carnivore diet. And, well, you know, instead of you know, ripping on that person and saying that's really fucking stupid. It's more like just discuss and kind of see where that where they're coming from with this, and and make sure I'm exposing them to ideas that are a little bit more fundamentally scientifically sound. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, definitely. So when it comes to nutrition, it's just like any other ideological standpoint. And nutrition becomes religious-like ideology for a lot of people. You box yourself too far into that corner. And you start forcing people to do it things your way, then you've got a problem there. And this kind of goes to, and again, I keep jumping around. You know, you got me thinking about all the questions you asked. Uh, let's just see. There, there's sort of something implied here. We'll talk about the podcast later on, but I think that one of the biggest problems that we as coaches can do is to try to force everybody into fitting into our box that we like to stay within our training philosophies and it's really really important to meet people where they are as opposed to saying oh now you're a power lifter and i think this is a pet peeve of mine too is coaches who they're power lifters and then they try to make everyone else into a power lifter a competitive one and you know i've seen this sort of thing and i kind of hate this stuff where you get a coach who of course brags about all the medals they win but what you find out is they're putting middle-aged women into weight classes and age classes where there's next to no competition and they're winning medals there and i think there could be something really wonderful if you're empowering these people because they're genuinely interested in doing it but if you're exposing you know relatively inexperienced populations to the rigors of one rep max regular one rep max lifting in a competitive setting you know i think you're potentially exposing those people to a lot of injury and you gotta ask yourself are you doing what they want or are you doing what you want so that's kind of a a big ass pet peeve of mine <laughs> i've danced around between probably half your questions already so i know it's awesome I'll, I'll let you <laughs> put me back on track that's <laughs> all good but i was gonna say like one of the things that i always tell new coaches is like just ask your client what they want like sometimes we get so caught up with like oh i bought this coach's new program i'm gonna get everyone on this new program because it's like the best thing but i don't know like for me when a client's program is up i always ask them like what do you want to work on next and then they start thinking and they're like you know what i've never tried this exercise i've never done this i would love to learn how to run for a 10k and i'm like sweet let's go do it like it's that simple (laughs) yeah you have to listen to them like you said ask people questions and and find out what they really want and sometimes what they say they want is not necessarily what they really want it's a good example um one of the classic examples it'll pop up in books everywhere is um when henry ford created what was model t i think was the first car if you asked people back then what they needed and they would have said well faster horses yeah Yeah. But then they created the car. And the same sort of story applies to the creation of the iPhone and iTunes. And, you know, sometimes you actually create something better that that people ultimately what would benefit them the most, but they may not necessarily understand what's best for them. Uh, and I'm also on guard against people who like to program hop or like to have excessive variety within their programming. Now, again, you have to listen to them and understand why they like that. 
then cater to that desire, but also educate them in why consistent programming and, and not always jumping week to week to a totally do new exercise or new program every four weeks is make sure that they understand why that isn't the answer for them. Yeah. And then sometimes that goes to having the kind of relationship and creating the kind of experience that they enjoy so much that maybe fills the gap that otherwise they were filling with just, oh, I got to do something new today. Yeah. And kind of going back to like all the nutrition stuff you were saying, like, again, there's so many freaking approaches to it. And sometimes when a client comes in, they're super motivated that they want to start doing keto. Like I learned really easily, like you, you don't want to take away that motivation and start being like, hey, by the way, keto's shitty because of this, this, and this. And then, and then they feel like, oh, okay, I guess I'm not going to do that. So it's like, go with it, like see what happens. But even this asking them like, oh, why did you choose that? And then they start telling you why they're excited about it. And then if it kind of sounds good, it's like, okay, then go for it. Like guide them in the right direction in terms of the ketogenic diet. Like, fuck, sometimes coaching is so simple that mo most people like think about it. Yeah. I don't know, but um, you know that's a good example, keto thing. That's a really great example with keto. And, and I had an old client who she wanted to do keto, and she trusted me enough to come talk to me. So here's the key: it's trust. Mm -hmm. So if someone trusts you enough to let you know that they are curious about something and want to do something, you have two choices. Like you said, either kind of berate them and educate them as to why they're wrong, which damages the trust you have with them, or you can say, which is what I did, okay. Let's do this. Let's see how this goes, okay? I'm gonna be with you every step of the way. Now, here are some of the misconceptions about keto, but here's also some of the things that work. And if we're gonna do it, this is what we have to do. And sure enough, she figured out pretty quickly that keto, by the definition, didn't work very well because she wasn't accounting for calories. She's like, literally, she's like, this is bullshit. But then she tried it by counting the calories and she felt pretty good about it, but she realized this wasn't for her. And what I ultimately said as well is, you know, if this doesn't turn out to be something that works for you, I'm going to be here when we make the next step. And then we got into a bit more awareness of calorie counting and the, the fundamental science of nutrition. So you have a stronger relationship with that client. You, you build trust with them. And one of the easiest things you can say whenever a client comes to you, whether it's nutrition or training other stuff, and they've gone and they found something, like maybe it's some stupid Instagram bullshit or some sort of cuckoo caca creative stuff. You can say to them, I'm really glad you're out there researching. I'm really actually happy you're doing that. Bring me this stuff, and what I'll always be able to do is I'll be able to say, you know, here's what's useful with it. And occasionally there might be something that's like, actually, it's not that good. Here's why it might be dangerous, or here's why it's here's why it might be a problem. And the stuff that's actually not bad, you indulge it and you you have fun with it and let them enjoy it. But that'll buy you the ability, the grace to say, this particular thing isn't good, right? I'll use a good example. Some Semi-recently, one of my clients mentioned bench dips. Now, people tend to be, I, I don't think they're a particularly good exercise. I'd be mean, not going to ever say something is universally completely bad under all circumstances. Some people can get their shoulders safely in that range. But I just don't think bang for your buck is a particularly good thing. And someone mentioned it, but I had the grace to be able to say to them, you know what, this is not one of my preferred ways to do this. If you really feel like you really like it, okay, cool. And they weren't married to it. They were just kind of curious about it. And then I turned around and got to, all right, what do they really want to accomplish? They want variety. Okay, cool. Well, let's do something that's different than what you're doing that gives you variety, but it's just not this. Or if they want, oh, well, I really want to target my triceps and I'm not feeling it. Cool. Let's actually try something else that will target your triceps. And maybe it's a TRX inverted skull crusher, which they always feel like, wow, that's fucking intense. So... You find something that feeds the goal, the, the ultimate thing they really want, while continuing to maintain that trust, but moving them off of something that you feel isn't safe for them. And if they trust you over time because of your relationship, you'll be able to pretty safely, without making them feel bad about researching this stuff, you'll be able to pretty safely move them off of the stuff that you know bah, might not be very good for them. Yeah, definitely. Um, before we keep going, like I would love to get like an intro on you because I think you're the first guest I've had on my show ever. That's like we just like started chatting and like 20 minutes later, it's like, oh yeah, by the way, let's get like a little intro for the audience of like a basic who you are, what you do, and how did you get into this industry. Sure. I know I kind of hijacked it right off the start. So um, I have been a personal trainer for nine years. I think it's nine years this month. Uh, I spent the first six and a half of those in a commercial gym setting. And it was a pretty good experience for the most part. I'm not going to get too negative towards the end because 
sometimes with these organizations, there can be problems as well. But uh, I decided to move out and be a, a an independent trainer, an independent contractor. And now I am a contractor under Evolve Strength, which is a friend of mine's gym uh, corporation, and he's franchised out other locations. Uh, myself, uh, Dean Somerset, who a lot of the industry people would know, he's a friend. We were together in the old company, and now we're here in the new company, just at different locations. So, yeah, and I run my own business there. So I work with clients. It's my first love. Ninety. Um, 90- <laughs> Five plus percent of my income comes from the clients I coach in person. I'll do a little bit of online training for dedicated clients and outside. Oh, and I, of course, here's an important one. Like I get a little bit of income from this, but it's not much. Uh, I write for T Nation as well. So I've always written blog style on social media long before I think this was, you know, like Instagram was around. So a lot of the people follow me there. Uh, and then would seek me out or people I knew from life or whatever would, would come to me when they were ready just because I was constantly putting out you know, nutrition, training information, industry philosophy type stuff and trying to be positive but holding our industry's feet to the fire about integrity, ethics, good behavior because, you know, we do see some bad stuff. Yeah. Uh, and that's, again, why I left the old company. You know, it's just, just too much bad stuff. So then along the way... Uh, I started the podcast with Dean Guido, so Dean, my buddy with that one, he actually asked me, and I've been a fan of listening to podcasts for a really long time, fitness podcasts. I tend to do more audiobooks now, but still some podcasts I'll listen to. And so Guido just said, hey, you want to start one? I was like, sure. And I know a lot of people through the industry through my travels. We had access to a lot of guests. So we just started it, and it took off, had a life of its own that we weren't expecting, and now we get to talk to you know the, the industry's elite, and, and it's fun, and it's something we've sustained for two years as a weekly thing. And then that led to more connections that ultimately got me talking to Danny Sugart, who I've read her work on T-Nation for a long time, and then Danny turned around and asked me to, she's been reading my stuff on my website that I've been writing, and she asked me to write for T-Nation, so I've been writing on T-Nation since first article was published this February. Um, I probably put up something once every three or four weeks, because my trading schedule doesn't let me write two pieces a week like some of their flagship guys, uh, nor, do, nor do I care to, to be that prolific with it, but uh, I try to create something for them when I can. And then all this stuff has led to the ability to uh, create and we just put off our first uh, Evolve Canadian Strength Symposium. So that's a big fitness seminar that we hosted here at Edmonton. So I'm, I'm living in Edmonton, Alberta. I've lived here for 13 years. I'm originally from St. John's, Newfoundland. No, I don't have the accent. Sorry, guys. Um, so that allowed us to throw that event. And, and again, Dean Somerset was one of my partners in that, Dean Guido and, and a couple of others, the owner of Evolve, um, John Chung. And then we had a really successful first event. So we had 107 attendees. Uh, Dean Somerset presented. We had Greg Knuckles and Lee Peel flown up from the U.S. And we had some really notable Canadian presenters, people like Mark Morris out of Saskatchewan, Megan Calloway from Vancouver, and uh, Lee Boyce from Toronto, amongst others, and some local people. So that went really well. Um, we've sort of short like the the organizing committee the owners are now just smaller it's three of us now for next year but we're already planning next year so that's kind of a fun little thing too awesome so that's kind of what i've been involved in all right um to kind of unravel all that i'm also kind of curious about like how did you get into the fitness industry like what about it did you realize that (laughs) hey this is going to be my career like were you always like an athlete growing up or like what was kind of the backstory not the route that a lot of people take. Um, there was never an ambition to be in the fitness industry. I fell into it. It was sort of an accident. Uh, yes, I was an athlete growing up, uh, cross-country skier, basketball player, and pretty much everything else I get my hands on. Growing up in rural Newfoundland, it's not like there were a lot of great programs there, although we did have a pretty world-class cross-country skiing uh, thing there, but I gave it up at 13 years of age because it just wasn't for me. Uh, then, I guess... You know, I have a university degree. I actually have a Bachelor of Commerce degree. My formal education is not in exercise science, although I've studied everything I get my hands on in the meantime since I started my career. But I was just a gym guy. You know, I started in the gym in my early 20s very seriously. I, mean, I had a bench in my basement when I was a teenager before that. But it really took off when I was about 24, and then I got super dedicated to it. I built a pretty big physique. Um, I'm a big dude, so uh, that sort of gets attention. And it was something I kept up for a while as I bounce around between other sort of career things, between owning a nightclub, uh, working for a bank, um, 
when I came to Edmonton, first job I had for a few years was a, a poker dealer and a poker manager in a casino, or a poker supervisor, which I should technically say it correctly. And but I was really devoted to the gym, especially when I got here to Edmonton. And then the gym I was at, um, one of the trainers just kept bugging me to come work for them because they, they were looking for trainers and they thought I looked like I knew what I was doing. And I turned them down a few times. And finally, I said, OK, I'll give this a shot. And then it sort of just happened. I got pretty busy pretty quickly. I started absorbing whatever training information I could. Uh, again, a lot of T-Nation reading early on. Then, yeah, I just stayed busy. Um, my, I was sort of told what was expected of a normal trainer, and then that turned out to be a bit misleading. That was actually kind of what was the top end in terms of how people, how busy people were. But I just bought into it, so I just kept working and working and working at it and sustaining that you know, 140 client sessions a month, year over year over year. And trainers will tell you, oh, I do 160 sessions a month. I do 180. No, they're full of shit. Uh, they did that one month. <laughs> and then, you know, they did it for a little while. People don't sustain those those kind of hours. It's just, that's rare to say the least, right? And usually there are a few people who are telling the truth, but most of those people are just giving you their, their, their high end once upon a time and claiming that they've sustained that for years. And then they're completely full of shit. So it was something that... I just continued to do really, really well with, and I don't know if anyone's ever read the book, um, God, what is it, it's a Cal Newport book, So Good They Can't Ignore You, and I think um, Seth Godin's Lynchpin is another one that sort of hits on the same thing, where they sort of discard the advice of follow your passion, uh, and it's more about just put your heart and soul and effort into just being an awesome above and beyond of whatever you're actually doing in that moment and then good things happen you either like someone notices from outside and you get pulled into something different or better or you discover that you really love what you're doing in the case of personal training it just it was something i realized like i'm good at this i really love this stuff and it just kept being better and being better and then in the last few years so many of these cool opportunities we've just discussed materialized and then all of a sudden I'm in this really bizarre position in the industry that I never could have imagined and it's been really fun but no I didn't start out day one going oh yeah this is what my life's ambition was I can't wait to to be super successful long term I was shit baked my first week I'm like I can't do this I'm overwhelmed and it gradually just settled in and uh, it just became this thing that I did and then the passion for it grew to the point now where you know, I absolutely love it, and I'm not one of these trainers who, and I don't begrudge anyone who wants to move off of the floor. As long as you've actually like spent some serious time, if you're going to be in the online space or whatever, uh, people who just jumped online and just can't wait to not train clients, I think there's something wrong there. Instead, I, I like I like working with people. It's the foundation of what I do, so therefore I always want to sustain that and always work with clients. And then the extra stuff is just extra stuff that I get to do because I'm busy and I'm financially doing more than well enough to be able to then fly down to conferences, to you know host our own seminar, to to write and and the the, the fun extras. But those fun extras actually don't put clients in front of you nearly as much as people think. Um, you probably get this occasionally you have trainers and people who they want to come on the podcast and, and they haven't been around necessarily very long or they haven't built a following or maybe they just haven't done something that sort of puts them in the sort of space of the type of guests you usually want to bring on and they'll say oh you know I've got a great story but they think that by being placed on the podcast all of a sudden it's going to get them thousands of new followers it's going to validate them and then all of a sudden tons of clients are going to come out of everywhere I can definitely trace two clients ever that I've gotten because of our podcast, and we're well over 100 episodes now. So, and I'm not, I wonder about you, like, you know, how many clients have you ever gotten because of the podcast? Um, for me, I'd maybe say like six or seven. That's pretty good. Yeah. It wasn't too bad. But, but again, it's like I've been doing it for like three years. <laughs> Exactly. And you take the time and the resources you've put into writing and hosting and, you know, putting up on social media, every aspect that there's a little bit more behind the scenes, the value of those six, seven clients, I mean, probably really grateful I've had them, mm -hmm. but, you know, these podcasts are not a great vehicle to get clients. They do something else. And I think one of the things you were sort of asking about is the value of these podcasts. I know I'm at jumping ahead on your questions, but it's a relevant thought. I think 
people can get caught up in the idea, oh, I need to have a podcast going to get me busy. Or I think people can listen to podcasts or consume endless fitness information, books and what have you. And what they're doing is they're they're in this endless cycle of consuming things that helps them procrastinate from actually putting things into action. And what matters more is if I'm studying and reading and whatever, but I'm not writing, then I'm not actually doing the thing that's going to get articles published and grow that side of stuff. And you can prepare forever until you feel like you're ready. You're never going to be ready. That doesn't happen. So you better just dive into it and do it. And then if you're not doing the things on a daily basis that are going to actually help the clients in front of you and attract referrals and more clients, then it's really just a way of procrastinating from this, maybe some of the hard work that you need to do to make your business more successful. I know that makes sense. No, it does. And like, this can be kind of like the next question of like the whole idea of podcasting. Cause like for me, when I first started, my whole thing was to just help as many people as possible. And then I started realizing it almost became a selfish thing because I'm like networking with all these different fitness professionals and now I like if I needed someone to refer out like I know so many people around the world where if a client moves or someone on Facebook's like hey does anyone know someone in Boston that can train me I'm like hell yeah there's so many people that I know but it's just like it's a cool like thing seeing how it's been growing just building my network and I'm not kind of curious like what have you gained from podcasting or what have you learned from podcasting in general? Well, I, I think you're right about the networking thing. I, you know, I have an unbelievable network of people across North America and, and, and elsewhere. Uh, and yeah, you can create referrals for clients. I found that a lot of times people will post, oh, I'm looking for a trainer in Winnipeg and all of a sudden I can rec- recommend my buddy Jeff who's in Winnipeg or God only knows where else. Like, look for someone in Vancouver. Okay, we got Mike Howard. I got my friend Kelly there. We got Megan Calloway. Uh, just as endless examples of this sort of thing. I enjoy it as a way to take an hour with, you know, some pretty impressive minds and incredible people. You get a mind. You get, a, you get an hour with Brett Contreras. You get a, an hour with Mike Isertel or Eric Helms or Jordan Syatt. That's pretty valuable. And. You get that for free because everybody does these sort of things for free unless they're a real fucking, you know, <laughs> buck knuckle. And, and that's a different ball of wax altogether. But most of these fitness professionals are really happy to do these podcasts. I mean, some of them are pretty busy, too. So that's really valuable. And, and I've heard people say, oh, you know, your fitness industry friends aren't real friends, blah, 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 whatever. It's like, well, actually, I consider a lot of people in the industry actually really good friends because it's – as good to see them at a fitness event and maybe you see them once or twice a year or chat a bunch on social media but then you think about it how many real friends do you have that you see once or twice a year in person and what makes the industry relationships any different especially whereas there's a lot of common ground there's a lot of you know, similar interests and I like being around those people because I find here's one of the real piece of value it's constantly inspiring me to work hard to it gives me ideas outside of the rigid thinking that I came up through in a commercial gym setting, which some of that has actually been very beneficial the way I built my business. It's been very sustainable and very successful. But it also boxes you in not to think beyond and say, well, shit, I could do a podcast or I could host an event or, or I could write, I could have my own website. And when I see other people doing all these things, it makes me really hungry to come back from that event or come back from you know that podcast and say, hmm, I should do more of this. I got to work hard. Um, part of it's just you want to keep up and get ahead, but it's um, it's and the other thing is it's fun. I enjoy it. It's a weekly little break from all the other stuff that I do enjoy working my clients. But it's important to step away from the client time and relationships and do other things that are emotionally fulfilling and sustaining as well. Because it can't just be endless clients. You know, it can't be that 200 hours a week of client training. But. Every once in a while, someone has a month like that, right? Yeah. Yeah, like another cool thing that I like about the podcast is like, you know, you get so many different fitness professionals talking about training and nutrition and maybe like three different people say it differently and then you're like, oh shit, that makes so much more sense. Now I can translate that to my clients. And like even the people listening, you know, you can have... 300 people talk about keto but maybe one of them has a different way of explaining it or a way to better fit it into your life and now that person's like oh my god i finally figured out how i'm going to implement this in my life and that changes a lot so like 
again, it kind of goes back to being selfish. Like I'm learning so much from other people, even though we're all doing the same thing. It's just how people interpret it. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Uh, I think you should, like I said earlier, you should expose yourself to diverse ideas and diverse ways of thinking. Um, you know, a good example, I mean, one of the people that I followed most closely for the longest, again, is Lane Norton. And Lane is very bombastic about his, and he's not even anti-keto, he just likes to combat the, the myth and misconceptions about keto. And because it's a character that he's more or less manufactured as larger than life sort of bombastic personality on social media, Lane in real life is is a, is a softer and, and much, much he's a nice guy he's actually a really cool dude but and he, and he cares about helping people and he, and he wants to share good information but because he puts all that bombastic stuff out there he attracts all the keto zealots as he puts it and then they're always arguing with him so it, it furthers his brand in, in that realm but there are going to be other people who are a bit softer with how they approach like you, you use the example of keto so we'll stay on it they're a little softer in how they'll implement it and they'll still be from a, a scientific basis as opposed to the people who think well the calories don't matter you just have to put butter in your coffee and eat bacon and just avoid carbs because carbs are bad i think we're beyond that but it's also important not to take for granted these things that we as what i think educated fitness professionals we know is bullshit and myth but i'll use a really good example we should be past the idea that women are afraid that they're going to look bulky when they lift weights. But 80 to 90% of the women that I first sit down with and meet, most of whom have become clients of mine, have in some way, shape, or form articulated to me that they don't want to get too muscular, they don't want to get too bulky. So. Yeah, fair enough. So that means that that is still ever-present in the minds and the consciousness of the people that are the end users. So we as fitness professionals can think we all know better but it's still really important that we find careful ways to tell people the truth about these things. And in the example of women and, and lifting weights, I mean, telling them, no, you won't put on muscle, you won't get bulky, isn't the answer either because we're lying to them because women will put on muscle. We have to understand just how much muscle they're willing to, they would like to have versus what would be too much. And you find creative ways to say to them, I always like to make fun of the, you know, the skinny gym bros and be like, how many guys do you know who are like at the gym every day and they're not bulky? What makes you think with without much testosterone, all of a sudden you're going to be? And then they kind of go, oh yeah, that makes that's a good point. And then also letting them know that, you know, show them pictures of women who actually have developed muscular physiques, their lean muscular physiques, and go like, see, this still looks really feminine. And they're like, yeah, don't that's okay, cool. And then you let them know, okay, well the ones that you're worried about, they tend to be more, you know, the steroid users. And and I don't begrudge anybody for any of their own personal choices, but just helping getting them to understand what could possibly happen. And then you can also remind them too, well, if you get just a little too bulky, we just chill out on training that, and then, you know, it's hard to maintain lean muscle mass to begin with. So if you reach a point where you're like, whoa, I'm too big, then uh, we back it off a bit. And it's never happened in my training career. I've had, even at guys are like, oh, I don't want to put on too much muscle. Cool, all right. And that's what I say to them. I've never had a guy come back to me like, dude, I'm too muscular, this sucks. <laughs> yeah. Never happened. Right? <laughs> Um, yeah, the next thing I kind of want to get into is like, because you know this, that I've been uh, mentoring a handful of new coaches, and a question I get a lot is, you know, how do I become successful like you? And the best, like, answer I can give them is, like, be a good human being so you can connect with another individual. And, I'm, and I always use, like, the 80-20 rule, like, 80% of the hour of training is, like, you connecting with an individual, and the rest of the... 20% is like programming, exercise selection, this, this, and all that other crap. So I'm kind of curious, like what kind of advice would you give new coaches so they can be successful in this industry? I agree with you entirely on that. It's, I, I like to put it this way. It's about the relationship with people that you have. So if you have a client in front of you, they're probably more likely to stay if you have an amazing relationship with them. And some people coming into the gym, they're scared of the gym. They're intimidated by it. They don't know what to do your relationship with them is probably what's going to keep them coming back more so than your technical expertise. There are going to always be clients who care more about the technical stuff, but I think relationship in most cases trumps all. And if you have a great relationship with people, then, and they're consistent, they tend to get pretty good results. And that combination of results and relationship is what will create referrals for you. 
There's another aspect, too, that I think is really important, and that's just simply how you carry yourself, your professionalism, and, and how you interact with your clients is a piece of that. I used to be a lot more hard hard ass about this stuff. I've mellowed on it a little bit, but you know, everybody, especially if you're working in a bigger gym setting, if you're at a private studio, it's not such a big deal, but it, your client in front of you still experiences it. Um, not being on your phone. I mean, this is basic trainer one-on-one, but I see it broken all the time in commercial gyms that I, I still do like to work out in commercial gyms, despite the fact that I've been in a slightly more athletic complex. Um, cause I grew up in them and I I've learned to separate my work environment from my lifting environment now. But I see trainers who are not engaged with their clients, that's a cardinal sin, who are ignoring them, who are, it's one thing to acknowledge and smile and, and, and interact with other people in a way that keeps your client in front of you or has the client also participate in the exchange or keep it ever so brief as a way to give more little positive things to other people. But if you're distracted from your client session and you're turning around and ignoring them a lot, well, that's bad. Um, I also am not a big fan of being seated while you're training people, unless you're sitting to mirror them as you're sitting. Um, I, as a rule, don't sit. And well, one of the things about that is it helps keep me lean, too, because I'm sure my, my need expenditure is through the roof. I take a lot of steps every day. But some people complain, oh, I'm tired. Well, cool, build up the stamina to deal with it, right? But how other people see you from the outside matters. When I used to work in a commercial gym, it was a very big, it was then a busy commercial gym. And unfortunately, now people describe it as a ghost town. That's a little pot shot there for anyone who's inside on it. I feel bad. But um, back then, there were so many people around, and I was always on my feet, and I was always engaged with my clientele. And this is something that when someone would walk up to me and ask me to say, hey, I want to train with you, they would cite those specific things, especially if the other people in your working environment are not doing those things. You contrast rather well. I'm also six foot two redhead and I'm now 260 pounds. I kind of stand out a little bit in that setting. So some people seek that. Um, there's always the argument, you know, should a trainer be in shape? People take polarizing views on that. There's always the people who say, oh, trainers got to be ripped. They got to be in shape or, you know, blah, blah, blah. I know a lot of really great trainers who at times in their career or or even now don't look visibly ripped, but they're incredibly skilled trainers. They're strong. They have other skill sets. That being said, newer trainers coming up through should take every, make every effort to try to be in as visibly good shape as possible and improve their shape. That's for new ones. Why do I say that? Because humans are still judgmental and whether we wouldn't want it to be that way in a perfect world, but people still form first impressions and judgments. And if people see two trainers and if the only piece of information they're going on at first impression is the kind of shape someone's in, which is the first thing you can see, they're almost invariably going to assume that the person who's in better shape is a better trainer. We know that's not true. I know lots of people, especially in the realm of like physique and bodybuilding coaching and what have you, where those people look fantastic. They've done, like, and I hate this cliche thing, oh, you've done a show, DM me for for information about coaching, blah, blah, blah. That does happen, but it, it's also lazy to beat up on those people. But there are a lot of people in that realm who they'll give the cookie cutter meal plan, the cookie cutter workout thing, and then they yell on social media and say, well, if you're not checking in, it's your fault. And they're not taking any ownership of the process or actually coaching anyone. Those people probably shouldn't even be allowed to talk to other human beings about anything to do with fitness or nutrition. Of course, I'm also someone who focuses more on what I'm doing versus what anybody else is doing because you can spend a lot of time complaining about everybody else. And meanwhile, you got to get your own house in order. And if you're not busy enough, whatever some Insta person is doing is not taking business from you. It's what you're not doing that is keeping you from having all the clients you want. But back to your original question about new trainers. They have to be patient. It's a different world than the one I started in. There are way more gyms now than ever. Um, there's more fitness awareness for sure. There's more people. Well, Instagram wasn't a thing when I started. Um, and I had this busy gym. There were a lot of people coming in. A lot of stuff was sold. I was filled up right away. And then as other trainers would leave, um, I would take on their clients. I stayed around. I learned to renew my clients. But the key was good relationships with your existing clients and then knowing how to ask for referrals. And I still think that use of social media is important and consistently putting out valuable information. And I just, I don't buy into this whole Instagram influencer um, thing. And I get another low piece of, low hanging piece of fruit that's easy to shit on. But I see this stuff and I'm just like, 
I'm not drawn to this stuff, and this doesn't make me want to go and train with that person. I, I want quality information. And I think to, well, who are the people in the industry who they put out the kind of stuff that I'm able to learn from, they have integrity, and I respect them. And I think about people like Dean Somerset and Lee Boyce, and there's a big you know, coincidence there. They're two of the speakers at the event that we had here um, just in uh, September. So I look to people like that as opposed to the ones who constantly take pictures of themselves with food, and you can tell it's very, very polished. And that being said, I'm of a slightly older generation. I've been doing this a little longer, so... There's an interview that Nick Tuminello and I had on, on, on our podcast where Nick talked about this gatekeeper syndrome where some of the people who've been around a little longer seem to think that the way that they came up through, now the new trainers have to do the same thing. New trainers have a, a more saturated industry for sure, but they also have advantages that we didn't have when we first started. And again, that's how you use your social media. You're able to get way more access to more people. You also have a lot more access to information than when I first started out, right? Like there were a few resources, a few books out there. There was a few people to follow. Like I said, T Nation was a big one for me, but now you have many, many, many more thousands of, of good people, you've got to be careful in who you choose to follow because you can just follow too many people and then you're not really absorbing the stuff from the good ones. But if you decide, okay, you know, you follow someone like a Jordan Syed, a Sohi Lee, or uh, certainly if you're interested in glute training at all or training philosophy, Brett Contreras would be, you know, simply the best. Some of the other names I mentioned, if you're interested in learning about muscular hypertrophy and you want to, to help people put on tons of muscle, Mike Isertel in Renaissance Periodization, and you can single it down to a small handful of people that you're really studying, absorbing their info versus jumping from person to person and always throwing something new out there. Um, so there are great resources to learn to be a great trainer, but all the knowledge in the world, you still better be good with the relationships. You know, it goes back to what you first said. Um, and that is ultimately what's going to get more people in front of you to then have those ex people experience your skill. Perfect. Um, so I think it's a good place to stop because if I ask you another question, it'll be another twenty minutes. But uh, maybe for the That's last, okay. yeah, maybe for yeah. the last question, um, if people wanted to find out more about you and what you do and any other projects you have coming out or when the next uh, symposium is, uh, right. it's time your time right now to uh, plug it away. All right. Well, um, Instagram at Andrew Coates Fitness. Um, is a pretty easy one. I tend to write a little bit more consistently with Facebook, so follow, follow me on Facebook. If I don't know somebody, I don't generally accept friend requests, so just follow, and then if someone's interactive and I kind of know who they are or whatever, then, then sometimes you can be a friend. But just, it, it tends to just get, my feed gets so clogged up, so follows are easier. So uh, I could be found on T Nation uh, every once in a while as I publish something, but if you're following T Nation, you should be just reading that for all the great content on there anyway. Um, anything that I post, you can usually see on my social media. Uh, the podcast is The Fitness Devil, uh, which you can find on, I think, pretty much all the podcast platforms. Guido does all the tech stuff, so I just write it and, and we talk to our guests and he handles that end of it, but you can find us there. And then with the symposium, so... This one, you'll just see it posted up on my social media a fair bit. And it's uh, it's going to be an annual conference in Edmonton, Alberta. So uh, we'll have Dean Somerset back. I've confirmed Lee Boyce back. We'll take a look at some of the other people we got. Um, I've tentatively arranged Sam Spinelli, who's a good friend, who's brilliant. And we just have to make sure that the dates work. But uh, Christian Thibodeau should be, also be involved. we got a few other big names that we're working on. We can't say yet because, well, we haven't arranged it. We're planning it for next September. Um, we're just trying to finalize the dates because we have to get our venue back. Um, we did it at the university last time, and they just don't have their schedule yet for what they need it for before we can take it. So if anybody's interested in that event, it's a two-day seminar that we have a variety of different speakers. We should have about 10 different speakers, and we're going to hit on topics including nutrition, uh, training, recovery, fitness business stuff. So if that interests you, just, just follow along, and there'll be lots of updates as we go. So that's really about it. Awesome. So thank you so much for your time. This was amazing. Hey, appreciate it. Thanks for having me on here. It was fun. All right. So that's going to wrap up episode 271 with Andrew Coates. Hopefully you enjoyed it as much as I did. And now, here we go. Make sure you share this podcast with your friends and family. Make sure 
you keep an eye out for the Black Friday sale of my ebook, The Ironclad Body Training System. And another cool thing is I just opened up three online training spots. So if you've been listening to my show for a while now and you've always toyed, toyed, that sounds so weird, toyed, toyed, played around with the idea of getting some online coaching by someone, preferably me, um, here's your chance. You know, if you listen to my previous podcasts, you know, this is the last quarter. It's October. And why wait until January to get your shit together than right now? Start the process now. So hit the link in the show notes. There's a little link there that says online coaching application. They'll take you to a Google form. You fill out the Google form and I'll be notified. And then we're going to get on a Skype call and chat. We're going to chat about your goals, what you want to achieve, and then see if we're a good fit. Because honestly, I've had some applications where a person comes in, they fill it out, we start chatting, and I'm like, you know what? You're actually going to be better with this other person I know. And I always want the best for someone. I don't want to just say, oh, yeah, no problem. I'm going to, you know, be able to do that for you. Like, I literally had someone uh, apply um, for my online coaching and they wanted to get better at their Olympic lifts. I'm okay at coaching Olympic lifts, but wouldn't it make more sense for that person, that applicant, to be paired up with a coach that actually does Olympic weightlifting? Yes. So I referred them out and now they're super happy and they're crushing PRs and you know they tag me once in a while on Facebook to show how awesome they are and I'm like, that's sweet. I want to see people succeed. So if you are at all interested, you know, literally just fill out the application. You don't have to worry about like, oh my God, this is happening. Let's just chat. Like sometimes you just need some clarity and, you know, ask questions of how it works, how it looks like, how much it costs and things like that. We're going to go chat on Skype for a little while and go from there. So hit the show notes. One spot's already taken as of this morning. So uh, two spots left. And I don't think I'll open this up for another year. So hit that up. And the Cut the Shit Get Fit sweaters should be here soon. God, I'm going to freaking call the postal office because this is pissing me off because it should have been here last week. When When those come in, I will post a photo, post a link to purchase yours. So stay tuned. I'm sorry. Thank you so much for listening to me ramble about online coaching and other shit. That's it for me, you guys. Until next time.